Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Happy Monday to everyone. Thank you for joining me for this live stream. I'm Krista Bontrager, and I trust and hope by God's grace that you and your family are doing well. Right now, I am still battling a little uh, leftover from that cold-like virus that I've had the last couple of weeks, so please continue to pray for me. But I am very excited to bring you this important conversation today. I really want to encourage you to share this stream widely, especially with your church friends who have their kids in public school. Uh, hopefully we're going to be giving them some, some things to think about that maybe haven't been on their radar before. And as many of you know, after um, everything we've gone through the last couple of years, I've done a lot of conversations about issues related to education. And I've been coming at it from all different kinds of angles. We've talked about charter schools. We've talked about homeschooling. We've talked about public education and social emotional learning and and um, comprehensive sexuality education and all of these things. And the goal in all of these discussions has really been to educate parents with their options and helping them consider what is best for their child before the Lord. And if you are one of those parents helping equip you uh, before the Lord and just giving you as much information as I possibly can. And again, I am not here to arbitrate how people uh, should parent their children. Parents are responsible for all of those decisions before the Lord, as, as am I. And what I really want to do is help resource Christian parents to make informed decisions. And today we're going to be doing a discussion I have wanted to do for quite a while. I just wasn't sure how to tackle it and helping parents uh, to be empowered, especially those parents that have kids that are in public schools, to help them understand their legal rights, uh, to talk about some of the practical steps that parents can take to help minimize the impact of the critical social theories on their kids. My guest from last fall, uh, Kelly Ski, we did the education mega episode. Uh, she suggested reaching out to some acquaintances of hers at the Pacific Justice Institute for help to help us tackle this question. So I'm very excited. We're able to get this discussion set up and talk about um, what legal rights do parents have when public school teachers, when there's policies, administrators, that advocate for practices uh, that go against our worldview. So make sure that you like the stream, make sure you're subscribed, and again, share this widely, especially with your friends uh, who have kids in public schools. With that, I want to welcome Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute to the Theology Mom podcast. So great to have you here, Brad. Maybe give us a little one-minute introduction to the Pacific Justice Institute. I know it's going to be new for a lot of people, but I want them to understand your important work there. 
Oh, certainly. Uh, yeah, we at Pacific Justice Institute, we defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. I founded the legal ministry back in 1997 with the help of former U.S. Attorney General Ed Meese. Uh, fast forward 25 years now, we have uh, 27 offices in 20 states, coast to coast, all across the country. We have the biggest footprint of its kind. No organization has this kind of, of, of offices all across the country like we do. Uh, seven offices are just right here, in fact, in California alone, uh, keeping us very busy. And it's also important to note that we're very unique in that we don't just cherry pick a few high profile cases and leave everyone else alone. Uh, no, we work hard to make sure that no one is left on the side of the road when it comes to religious freedom, parental rights, or the sanctity of human life. We do it all without charge. And if people want to keep up with our cases or they may want to support our work as a nonprofit ministry, they can do that very easily. They can just go to pji.org, pji.org. We have some very valuable legal empowerment information that will help uh, particularly parents and parental rights, whether it's public schools, social workers, et cetera. Uh, it's something parents should definitely uh, check out and you take advantage of. And all that is uh, right now is completely without charge if they just go to pji.org. Let's begin by just talking in general about the importance of parental rights, because I think that this is something that a lot of people are becoming more conscious of, especially in the last couple of years of, wow, the world is really changing. There's a kind of a, a change that seems to be happening for us very rapidly on a social level. And what are my rights as, as a parent that I currently have over my children? In particular, let's focus on the public school environment. When my kids go to public school, um, what are my general rights as a parent? Yeah, well, first, let me just say, if someone has kids in public schools, uh, it's my recommendation for them, in particular if they're in a blue state or a blue school district dominated by the teachers unions, that they seriously consider looking at alternatives in, immediately or as soon as possible. Uh, in California public school, it's very difficult for a child uh, to start kindergarten, go through to be a senior in high school, and expect that child to come out strong in their, their traditional faith and beliefs. Uh, so let me just put that right up front. Now, that said, reality is uh, many parents are, have their, most kids, parents have their kids in public schools. That's a given and for different reasons. So what, as far as some, some rights issues, I'd like to talk about that. And I'm really glad you, you're addressing this, this, uh, this point, this issue. So first, parents should take advantage of uh, opt-out forms that we have available on our website. They're customized for each of the 50 states based on state law and state case law. So this is something every parent should take advantage of. They can go to the website, as I mentioned before, it's on, on the screen, I believe, pji.org, download the opt-out form, sign it, fill it out, uh, give it to the school. If the school says, oh, no, we can't accept this, say, oh, okay, all right, and then send it certified mail. So then they have legal notice of the opt-out form that you've signed and, and sent to them. Now this opt-out form, I wanna just give a caveat. It's not a, a magic wand. It's not gonna give your kids total protection, only partial protection with regards to sex education. The school district will still be able though to bring in the LGBTQ sexuality agenda. 
It's not going to prevent that. It's going to prevent some things, but not all of it. Uh, and there's some other matters and things that are going to be protected as well uh, in that opt-out form. So it's valuable. Parents should use it, but they shouldn't say, okay, great. Now my kids is safe. The child is, your child is still not safe, but this is a, a definitely a valuable starting point. I'm glad you're bringing that up because we have talked about the opt-out forms on this podcast before. So I want to let people know if, if this is new information for you, we did a deep dive into that um, about a year ago. If people go watch the episode that I did, Crash Course on Social Emotional Learning, SEL. Uh, we did a deep dive on the opt-out form and some of the limitations of that. So I'm glad that you're, you're reminding us about that, but also that it's not a magic wand. And we should probably talk about why it's not, because what they're opting out of is what's called the comprehensive sexuality education, from what I understand. Right. But that might be a contained unit. But what's happening is that teachers are more and more embedding the LGBT ideology into their everyday class life, classroom life. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit of, of what you're seeing. Oh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's statutorily required for every school district in California to, uh, to have this LGBTQ material. Uh, it's, uh, there's certain requirements for each age, each grade level, starting at kindergarten. All right. So um, it's something parents can't escape. So for example, first and second graders, uh, it's a, one of the activities that are recommended is to have uh, two transgenders or two, uh, two gays to come to their school and do a presentation with the children. Very common. Uh, the, the books that are being utilized now and approved, courtesy of the American Library Association, um, are child abuse. It's, it's sick. Uh, telling little children at a little a young age that you know, that, uh, that they could be, they can change their gender at any time. And that's wonderful. And it's normal. And every child should feel free to be the different gender if that's what they want. Uh, so that's a part of the indoctrination process. Uh, they, uh, they make actually changing your gender seem like a wonderful, happy thing. They don't tell the kids uh, about the mental psychological impact. A child actually has a greater likelihood a living past 30, if they have a, a cancer or a cancerous tumor, they're actually healthier and better, better likely to, more likely to live beyond the age of 30 than if they go down this route of, of gender identities for a transgender stat uh, status. It's very, very dangerous, very unhealthy. Um, and uh, that's one reason why Europe and many public schools and uh, countries there are starting to, to, to close it off and to pr prevent it because they, they see that how damaging and destructive it is, if anything, just from a potential liability perspective. So this is the, the material that goes in. As the kids get a little older into uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, uh, they start learning about quote unquote abstinence. Now abstinence is not abstinence, abstaining from sex. It's not engaging in traditional sex and instead engaging in other kinds of sex, including uh, I'll just, be, I'll just mention it, oral anal sex and how to do it healthy in a safe way. These are children pre-puberty being exposed to something that I never even heard or even thought of until I started having to do this, this legal work. Uh, it's, it's sick, it's perverted, um, and it's destructive. 
so parents need to understand this is what is coming to their child. Uh, encouraging dysphoria, uh, confusion, insecurity, um, even with regard to their sexual orientation. Uh, you know, children are told that, you know, if you rather rather be around boys, if you rather be around boys and be with boys, that means you're probably gay. Uh, or to kids in junior high that, you know, if you have yourself, find yourself curiously looking at the other, other people in the locker room in junior high, seventh grade, then that means you're gay, um, which is a propaganda piece, uh, which taking advantage of, of children at that age where curiosity and comparing themselves is actually very normal at that stage of development. So it's very destructive, very damaging uh, from the LGBTQ perspective, but also the CRT, critical race theory. This is infused throughout our public schools. Teachers are, yeah. are pushing it. It's very destructive. It causes um, uh, animosity. It causes hatred. It causes division. It's a, a, a distraction from education and children being able to work together. Uh, so it tells uh, African-American children that uh, they're oppressed uh, by the white people, the evil white people that have done this and oppressed them. And then it tells the white kids that they should feel guilty and have guilt. And, and, and of course, this is very dangerous, particularly for, for, for facilitating another factor of, of depression and potential teenage suicide on both, fr on both fronts. So that's something that we also see uh, being pushed uh, by public schools and make which makes public schools all the more dangerous. Yeah, and I think that what's important for people to understand is the the opt-out form, like you said, it has limitations. Right. Um, we still advocate that parents be proactive and fill out the opt-out form. But what parents need to understand is that there's an entire culture that is in many classrooms. And I want to encourage parents, if you're skeptical that uh, these things are real, go look up an account called the libs of TikTok on Twitter. And um, they post videos there by public school teachers on a regular basis where public school teachers are explaining how they bring LGBT pride issues into the culture of their their classroom, you know, all the way. I've even seen preschool teachers on the libs of TikTok talking about this. And so they're, 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 we're not saying that every teacher is doing this, right. but there are a growing number of especially younger teachers, if they've come out of their program in the last five to 10 years, that they have been trained almost to, you know, create little social justice advocates and right. so i think it's important for parents to understand and maybe you can speak to this is to what could a parent do to find out what the teacher is actually teaching that that goes beyond the opt-out form like how how could a parent begin to know that this ideology is in fact being embedded into their their child's classroom well, one of the, the best ways of knowing uh, is to go to the school and volunteer as a teacher assistant, actually. Uh, parents can do this. Teachers will often welcome it. They love to have a free helper to make their work a little easier. Um, but to be there, they can monitor it. They can see what's going on. They can even have a potential influence on the teacher. Say, you know, I think this is actually going to make some parents upset. I, I'm not so sure this is, you know, something you, you want to necessarily do. So it's... it. 
I, I would, if I had my way, I'd have parents as teacher assistants in every school, public school in California, uh, to monitor and then to report to Pacific Justice Institute what they see, what's going on, and, uh, and then to, so we can then uh, step in and, and take action as needed. Uh, also, we have a, a film. I, I want to make sure I mention this. It's a documentary. It's a very high opening. It's very well produced. It's called Sex Ed. It's on our website, but it's called S-E-X-X-X Ed. Uh, let parents decide. So Sex Ed, it's, you just go to our website, pji.org, pji.org. Uh, click Parents' Rights, the box that says Parents' Rights, or they can go through the resources on the top. Either way, they're gonna find it. It's a great, very uh, effective, powerful video uh, on specifically the curriculum mandates for California schools. Uh, and also I wanna mention some, you know, there may be people watching this who are not in California saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Well, guess what? Fort Worth, Texas, their school district, they adopted this curriculum in compliance with the California statute. St. Louis and other cities across the country are being pushed to do this, to adopt it. And the, and the, the objective from the radical LGBTQ movement is, well, we get Fort Worth to do it. We get other, some of these other Texas cities and other places that are dominated by teachers unions and radical leftist teachers unions, uh, which they are. And then we can justify this anywhere. We can say, well, Fort Worth is doing it. It can't be that bad. It's Fort, you know. So that's what's going on. So everyone in the, in the, in the nation should watch this and should be aware this is what's coming to a public school. If the school board, especially if the school board has uh, is made up of people who are endorsed by the teachers union, then you can bank on the fact that this material is or will be coming to that school district in the not too distant future. But I like your strategy there of parents being proactive and not just wringing their hands like, hey, go volunteer in your kid's classroom because that, if you're able to do that, that might, even be an intervention for other kids in your community that you can begin to sound the alarm about. Um, right. and, and having that, that proactive stance. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about data collection, because I'm seeing this more and more. We did an entire episode where I showed on screen, one parent uh, was able to get a survey that was given to her child right. in a public school in the Northwest. And um, it was in a high school context. And so we went through the survey on, on this show, showing parents, you know, um, that this kind of data collection is happening. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. In that case, the parent then went to the school and, and met with the principal. Why wasn't I alerted? that this data collection was gonna be happening. So maybe you can speak to what parents' rights are about data collection. Why are schools all of a sudden giving surveys to our kids? Yeah, well, they wanna glean information uh, partly to decipher children who are in unhealthy family environments. Uh, it's a witch hunt to weed out families that are have a dangerous quote unquote, you know, Christian families with a closed-minded Christian or biblical worldview or Orthodox Jewish worldview uh, so that they can uh, rescue these children and take them out of those families, this, this harmful, hate-filled, dangerous kind of families. This is their, that's their, their world view, their, their viewpoint. Um, that's a part of it, actually, and social workers and CPS work along with that very closely. Uh, 
the good news is that parents uh, do have statutory rights, depending on the state, with regards to questions and surveys. California has uh, a statute of law addressing uh, surveys, particularly when it identifies the child, and it's a, a question dealing with, uh, uh, you know, sex or morality, or religion. Uh, there's even the, the, you know, the Hatch Act. So there's a number of uh, statutory measures that can come into play. Parents uh, are not, you know, without legal remedy necessarily. The problem usually, though, is that parents don't know it's, it, it, it's happening or that it happened. Uh, that's a, a big part of it. I, I want to mention a couple things on this that I think could be very helpful also. One is we have a book called Reclaim Your School, 10 Strategies to Practically and Legally Evangelize Your School. There's a chapter for teachers, for students, for parents, uh, for school board members, model policies for school boards to adopt 21 model policies. Uh, you know, it's it's all available free, all, all without charge. You can download the book for free on our website, uh, PJI. Dot org. So I want to get that out. It's very important. The other resource is dealing with uh, fending off social workers. If parents, if you have a child in a public school, your child is much more at risk to be taken from you by the government. And here's why. If the child is in a uh, being homeschooled, the government has to get a warrant first off. And it's very difficult for them to come in the house to be able to threaten you. And you've got time to work with and we can, we can work with you. And, uh, much safer in that regard, generally speaking. Private schools are not as safe, but safer than public schools because private schools are like give a little more pushback and say, whoa, wait a minute, why are you here, social worker? Uh, exactly what's the issue? Uh, okay, hold on, wait right here, just a second. And they can call the parents, they can bring the parents in and, uh, and, 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 and to help to uh, prevent some uh, false information or the child being questioned without someone else being there, for example. So... Uh, that's, but public schools, it's very problematic. Uh, the public school teachers talking to a child, child says, you know, I think I feel like I'm a girl says, I feel like I'm a boy. Oh, really? Have you, your parents, do they, do they know about this? No, my parents would kill me if they knew. Oh, really? Well, they bring in the school counselor. School counselor comes in, calls the social worker. Boom. They take the child. The parents say, what happened? What happened to my child, my daughter? She's in a very safe place. So what we have for parents, particularly for parents who have kids, or for all parents, but those in public schools, it's an article called, it's, we wrote called 12 Steps to Protect Your Children from CPS or Social Workers. It's called different things in different states. 12 Steps to Protect Your Children from CPS. Download this. If, folks, if you have children or grandchildren out there, go to the website, download it. It's free. It's without charge. There's no, you know, um, Amway presentation at the end. I mean, there's, just, there's no hook here. There's no angle. It's just, we want to serve. We want to protect as many children as we can from being taken by social workers and who work very tightly with the public schools and the school counselors. Uh, it's 12 steps to protect your children from CPS and they can download it, keep clicking on our website, pji.org. Now, I know that in my friend's case, um, she was able to get a hold of the survey and, and be able to look at it, but it was not easy. And the only reason right. she even knew that it happened was because her 10th grader told her, oh, we had to take this weird survey at our school today. And um, she didn't know anything about it. And so then she started getting on the internet and she started researching. And I don't know if this is a federal thing or a state thing, but there was actually a, a statute that 
um, she had a right to see this survey and she had a right, right. to um, be notified about the survey within a certain number of hours or days prior to the survey being given to her child. And none of those things were right. um, executed. And then when she confronted the principal about it very nicely, but had a meeting with the principal, he didn't seem aware of these laws. You know, <laughs> she was like, you know, you actually can't be doing this. And um, so I think you're right. Like sometimes parents aren't even aware that the data collection has happened. Do you recommend to parents to actually tell their children kind of like how back when I was a kid, you know, my mom says, say no to drugs. Like do parents, should parents be telling their kids, say no to surveys, say no yeah. to, to data collection? Yeah, they should. And of course the, the, the problem is, can be pro is, uh, based on the age of the child uh, and that if you, uh, if the child is real young, they're not, may not understand it. They may not understand the question they give it to, they're given the, the survey by the, the teacher that they trust, that they respect, they're in second grade and they're supposed to answer these questions. Uh, so that's, that's a problem because many children will be very quickly overcome and pushed to, to do it. And they may not want to stand out, you know, then you've also got uh, adolescents. These are kids at the adolescent level who may think, you know, hey, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big person. I'm not afraid of surveys. I'm not I can see anything. I can watch anything. My parents are just overly protective. That's the average adolescent. They don't understand. They're still developing in their thoughts and their, their thinking patterns, their brain patterns, et cetera. Uh, their, their frontal cortex is not developed. They don't understand the consequences uh, that could be involved, uh, them, i.e. being pulled from their family. So I think parents need to be very, you know, carefully and to talk to their kids, not be too dogmatic, but yet let the kid know it's, it's just a balancing. Let the kid know how serious it is because some of the questions, when they ask questions from kids about their families, about what their family believes, about their, uh, you know, anything to do with their family, their parents or what, or, or their b beliefs, um, sometimes the government will use that as a pretext to take children from families, particularly if they think they're from a Christian family. Sometimes that happens. Um, ha you know. Have you seen that? Or because I'm, I'm imagining that some listeners are going to think that sounds like a scare tactic. Like that's that's not really happening. Yeah, and and I can see why they I can see why they think that because there are actually uh, organizations and entities that do hype, and they say things to get people all hyped up for this reason or for that reason and to get them to do this or to get them to do that. We don't, we're very careful as attorneys. We're very careful to be very, you know, straight and narrow with what we say, what we advise. So let me give a specific example of a specific case. There's so many I could give. Um, this is a girl, she was 16 years old and her teacher was talking to the children. And uh, I don't think it was a, a written survey or just conversation to fish things out from the kids. But one of the children, uh, a teenager, uh, she said, you know, actually, I, I really feel like I'm more of a boy than a girl. They go, she goes, oh, really? Interesting. And then she arranges for the school counselor to pull the kid out, talk to the child. She goes, you're like a girl? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like I am. But, you know, she goes, oh, okay, just say it. So calls a social worker. Social worker talks to her and then talks to the parents and says, uh, do you, you know, realize your daughter has these feelings? Say, well, um, you know, we're going to have our child get, get counseling. We're a Christian family. She goes, oh, okay. Well, we're taking your child then. And they had a psychiatrist, in-house shrink psychiatrist, paid for by the government 
to say, oh yes, the child needs to be taken, uh, kept from the parents, and the procedure should start immediately. And that's what happened. We were contacted. Fortunately, Pacific Justice was, was there, uh, contacted. We went right into court. We got the, everything halted, prevented the girl from being victimized. We litigated and litigated. Finally, at the end of the litigation, the girl says, you know, Your Honor, um, actually, I think I've decided I really don't feel like I'm a boy after all. And she would have been permanently sterilized and messed up for the rest of her life. Had we not stepped in, that's a classic example. I give another example if you want. There's a. I, I would love to hear another one because what I don't want is for people to write you off and say, you know, you're an extremist or these things don't really happen. I want to take a very quick moment to tell you about my friends at Birmingham Theological Seminary. As many of you know, I have been looking for advanced theological instruction that is both biblically faithful and very accessible and affordable. This is not easy in this day and age. Um, now, personally, I was not able to uh, go to a seminary where I had to relocate. I, I'm, I just am where I am. I'm not in a season in life where I could relocate. I needed to find a program that uh, had live instruction and it was on Zoom so I could see my professor face-to-face. -face. I could talk to him. I could talk to the other students in my cohort. And that is one of the major reasons I chose Birmingham Theological Seminary. It's also the school where Monique is going and pursuing a Master of Arts in Public Theology, which is a very unique degree that not a lot of conservative seminaries have. The classes are rigorous. The schedules are flexible. The tuition is ridiculously affordable due to their generous donors and church partners. Now, the professors at BTS are intensely committed to providing biblically faithful, non-woke theological education. I would say probably 90% of their faculty are also pastors and ministry professionals. They're not just ivory tower eggheads. They're in the trenches doing day-to-day -day ministry. Another unique feature of BTS because um, they're not all a bunch of professional academics. At BTS, you get the benefits of a strong academic program, but focused on empowering you to do what God has called you to be. Even if that's being a better teacher to your kids, you want to have more education to lead your women's group um, or whatever you're doing in your local church. If you're ready to start your journey with faithful, accessible theological education, go check out Birmingham Theological Seminary and see if they might be a good fit for you. Uh, I'm not saying like all social workers are evil and all ch no child should ever be taken from their families. I'm actually not not on that camp because we have drug abuse and and real child abuse that takes place. But the, according to Department of Health and Human Services, the majority of cases, that's not the case. The majority of cases, according to DHHS study, says the children would actually be better off if they were kept at home not taken, even if they were in a moderately, quote unquote, abusive family. So we're just being very pragmatic here about reality of what's actually happening. So uh, in fact, most of the children that are uh, brought in uh, uh, to, to gay foster parents, I mean, they, they come in by being taken from families. Most, most gay couples, that's how they get their kids, uh, is through social workers. And the social workers are, are overall, not all, but overall very uh, akin to the, uh, to the LGBTQ movement. Uh, it's very normal, and which is explained partly by, by the fact that kids who are abused sexually 
um, like girls who are sexually abused by men are more likely to have uh, issues dealing with sexual orientations and, and sexuality. And they're also more likely to become social workers to prevent other kids from being abused. So there's some logic there. So that's the big picture. Now, another example, um, there was a, a pastor and his wife and uh, they were contacted by a social worker uh, who's gonna come to their, uh, to their home on, on Wednesday to ask some questions about their daughter. The daughter was 13. Uh, the daughter uh, had decided that she wanted to be a boy, uh, that she felt like she was a boy. And uh, fortunately, someone from their church gets our information, told the pastor, you should really call Pacific Justice first. He did, and I talked to him and, I, and his wife, and I said, okay, so what are you gonna tell a social worker when you get there? They said, well, we're going to you know, explain to her that we're a Christian family and that we believe you know, in the Bible is the word of God and that we're going to give our daughter counseling from the word of God and from a Christian counselor. To I said, okay, you're going to lose your daughter tomorrow if you say that. It's that simple. You're going to lose your daughter because that's going to validate their, their, their fear, if you will. Um, here's what you need to say. Uh, you need to say that you're first very grateful to the social worker for the work that they do to help protect ch children like your daughter that, um, that are different and are needing sensitivity and tolerance by other people. And, um, and that there needs to be a greater understanding for people like your daughter and how you're unconditional in your love for your daughter. Of course, the last thing is true. Uh, but he said, uh, well, they, we disagree with everything, but the last thing, all that other stuff you said, that really is not what we believe. I said, oh, I know. But unless you lie tomorrow, you're going to lose your daughter. And a lot of people, especially from the Christians, they think, well, gosh, we're not supposed to lie. Well, when Pharaoh's army knocked on Moses' mom's door and said, do you have any babies? She didn't say, oh, gosh, yeah, I wish you weren't going to ask that question. Yeah, they'll find a little basket, three reeds to the right, a little cove. Go ahead and kill it. No, she didn't lie. Did Corey Ten Boom lie when the Nazis knocked on her door and says, oh, yeah, they're upstairs in the hiding place? No, because it was a greater harm and evil from those who were blind and didn't know uh, what, even what they were doing necessarily. So... We train and give emergency counsel to parents in these situations, and they're often involving children in public schools. Uh, there's more examples I could give as well. No, but, that's that's super helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and they, need, help they, they need to, and they definitely. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but they definitely need to, to download that article. It's not a book. Um, it's very succinct. Twelve steps. Boom, boom. Very easy to follow. And then it has our phone number and they can uh, contact me directly on my cell phone as needed. Uh, and the reason I say that it's people are sort of surprised that I would do that. It's my personal cell phone or, you know, right here. It's uh, but the reason is because there's a very short window oftentimes. And once the children are taken, um, generally speaking, we can't help them at that point. Uh, generally speaking, it's then they get a public defender and they have lost all control with the ability to be able to protect their kids. The good news is if they contact us before the child is taken, the odds are better than 99% that their child will not be taken because of the steps that we provide uh, pretty much as a checkmate against the other side, assuming that there's not actual any bona fide abuse or neglect taking place. Right. And again, what the these these data collection efforts or these surveys that can sound innocuous, it can a child can or a teenager could mark on there like some of the questions were very vague like do you feel kind of different than all your peers like that's a very vague question anybody who's been through puberty knows like that's a rough road there's some rough moments in in puberty 
And to have a survey that says, you know, do you feel different? Or do you ever feel like, you know, your parents' religious beliefs are, you know, difficult for you? Or do you do you feel like you could talk about it? Like some of these questions are right. very vague. Right. But then some in some cases, again, we're not here to villainize all public school teachers, but some are looking for these kinds of answers and then can start a process with that child, start a conversation, and the parents don't even know who who all is getting involved. And that's what people need to be aware of. Yeah, right. Um, also, so the surveys are very real. And it, whether it's in, on writing or whether it's relational, it's it's very yeah. dangerous. Uh, we at Pacific Justice Institute, on the, the written side, there was the, something called the class test. It was a, the state standardized ex exams given to kids in California. We went into court. We got four Superior Court judges to grant injunctions defending the right of parents to opt their children out because it was so psychological in nature. It, it clearly violated the, the, the law of California particularly at the time. Uh, so that is real and we've moved on it and we've done it and we'll be happy to, to help people in that situation. Uh, it's also, it's interesting. So we're, we've had to defend teachers. Like you mentioned, there's some good teachers out there. We're right now defending teachers in multiple states, including California, that are, have lost their jobs uh, because their refusal to use pronouns that affirm a child's gender identity confusion or dysphoria. I mean, what teacher with a good conscience and a clear mind would ever want to facilitate a dysphoria that if the studies show if the child just simply is left alone, more than seven out of 10 by the time they reach high school will no longer have that dysphoria. Yeah. But the government wants to encourage it and encourage teachers to do it. The second policy that's real concerned, people should be concerned about, and we're defending teachers on this too, is orders to hide information from parents, which you've alluded to earlier. Yes. Let's and, let's talk about that because I don't think that many people understand that that's that that's happening sometimes. That teachers are there's even policies like I one of the things I encourage parents to do is go on your district website and read the equity policy and right. look for uh, if you can even what the teacher policies are about communicating between teachers and parents and what information teachers can withhold from parents about the student. We need to talk about that. Yeah, and here's the good news. Uh, so on Pacific Justice, we have all these attorneys and law firms, you know, these law offices all across the country, all without charge. So we have a, a strong legal arm to sue. But a very another powerful arm we have is the media arm. So, for example, we have a show, I have a show called The Dacus Reports, heard on over 800 radio stations and transmitters all across the country. We don't pay a penny for it. And uh, different networks carry it. We have a show on his channel called Brad Dacus Live for a full hour, uh, Monday through Thursday. Uh, we have an appearance on uh, the, the uh, Joe uh, Messina show, which is heard on 48 conservative news talk stations and some other networks. So if parents have something like this happen, um, they contact us. I'm able, assuming the parents want us to, and it's strategic as far as the, the case and situation, we're able to blast that out and talk about it on our show, which puts immediate pressure on the teachers, on the school district, uh, on the principal, 
to knock it off and, and mo can mo help mobilize parents to make change. And we've seen this across the country. And we at Pacific Justice were part of doing it, as are you and your uh, your podcast. So uh, parents, if they, they see it happen, they no one has to go it alone. They contact us. We work with them. If they don't want us to do anything, we won't do anything. If they don't want us to mention anything, we won't mention anything. We, we put our clients first. We have attorney-client privilege. But if they do want it and we think it's constructive, we can use our media arm, which I think is very helpful, um, to address to address these issues. And we've used it before as parents' rights have been violated. Sometimes the media actually take arm takes care of it before we even have a chance to or need to even file a lawsuit. If that's a probably more than nine times out of ten, we're able to get matters resolved without filing a lawsuit, either with the media or with our legal demand letters. What do you see as being some of the I want to ask you two more questions before you go. Is one is um, when should parents start creating documentation of you know what's going on? You know, is right. When do when and what kind of documentation should they start to to gather? Let's start with that. Well, first they should in inspect all the curriculum and the books, and they have a legal right to do that. Some school districts. So they can say, ask. It, they can ask, know. and school districts have to reasonably accommodate. We've had school districts say, well, okay, you can, but uh, you have to come between 2 and 2.30 or for just 15 minutes a day, 2 and 2.15. They just make it difficult. No, and it, we, we've gone head-to-head -head with school districts pulling that, that, that uh, maneuver and said, no, that's not a reasonable accommodation. You need to have it so that parents can come and at a reasonable time with the parent schedule uh, to look at the materials, uh, all the materials, list of all the speakers that are going to be brought in, any organization the school is working with, uh, like Planned Parenthood, for example, which they're coming on high school campuses in LA, right. LA Unified like crazy. It's it's outrageous. Uh, so they, they look at the curriculum, they look at the textbooks. That's very important. Um, they also, as they find materials that they find highly objectionable, like say a, a book that is uh, the children going to read, and there's something in it that's just pornographic, either pictures or, and I just talked about this on my show recently, you know, an example is but pictures or uh, literature, which has, you know, F words and all kinds of cuss words and explicit sexual acts being described. Uh, we encourage parents to take that to the school board meeting and say, yeah, this is something that my child is in the fifth grade. This is what they were assigned to read. I just want to read it to you to show you. Um, you know, so you guys are fully aware of this material and then just start reading it and use that two minutes or three minutes and read that. Usually school boards say, uh, enough is enough. That's not appropriate here. Say, this is what's in my child's classroom. And you say it's not appropriate at a school board meeting. And it can be very, very effective uh, technique. You want to be calm, non-threatening. Uh, don't want to give them any pretext to say that they're threatening and, you know, school board members are, but be clear and we can we'll represent we've represented parents who've actually been wrongfully uh, removed from school board meetings as well so asking for curriculum i love these practical ideas asking for curriculum reviews asking for textbooks um even speakers that are going to be coming to the school it's not something i would have thought of that's really good um oh. so those are some documentation that parents can even ask at the beginning of the school year right and Again, we're assuming all along that as little red flags come up, they can always reach out to Pacific Justice Institute for support, help, advice, and right. all of that. I think um, the other question I want to ask you is common mistakes. Like, what yes. are some things that by the time they get to you, 
you're like, if you had only called me before you did this, right, right. Um, what what are a couple of common mistakes that you yeah. see? One of them is is to start off confrontational with your the teachers in the school. So you never play your cards. Show that you're scrutinizing, that you're one of those conservative, Bible-thumping, or whatever the stereotype. No, you want to say, oh, I'm, I'm so happy. I want my child to do so well this year. I want to make sure that I'm in touch with um, you know, the, the, text, the, the curriculum, the textbooks. I want to be supplemental. I want to work as a partner with the teacher. So can I look at the curriculum and the textbooks? I want to make sure, I, 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 I want to make sure I'm, I'm prepping and, and aware of what my, my child is going to be using. Um, you know, so I can, you know, be there as a support for the, t for the, uh, for my child. Can I, oh, wonderful. Great. And we're, I'd like to meet the teacher. So you want to do that. Now, sometimes teachers, when they have like the open house day for parents, they'll hide the rainbow flag or the BLM flag. So what you want to do, I encourage this if at all possible, if it's not going to be too embarrassing for your child is to tell the school, say, yes, I need to get something to my child. Um, and I just wanted to just to quickly, you know, can I just quickly, I, I want to go to my child's classroom right now and just drop this off my child. They'll say, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. I say, yeah, I know. I want to make sure my child gets this. Um, it's, it's very important. And I need to make sure my child gets some, some medicine, say it's some, whatever we ask for, whatever it is you can, you know, um, and it's, and I say, it's just, it's, it's important. You know, I want them to be sure and take this. So to go into the classroom, that's one way, but they, we want to go and see the classroom when it's not on stage for the parents. Uh, that's important. And then talk to your children. This is really important. They'll say, I heard this. I'll say, would you talk to your child? Jessica, are there any flags in the classroom? Anything going on in the classroom? Some kids will lie to their parents because they don't want to be embarrassed. But the reality is that's, that's important to talk to your children. If the parents, if the teacher sees the parent as hostile, They'll sometimes take it out on the child. Actually, they often will. They're very so. And, and sometimes, sometimes grade levels, you may have three home run, uh, three homeroom teachers, and one may be a radical leftist, LGBTQ woke CRT. Another one may be moderate. Another one may be a, a, actually go to church or synagogue and be level-headed. Um, it's it's good to get some background uh, before the school starts about the teachers, particularly elementary school level, uh, and. Uh, because you might want to get into the teacher and say, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to have my child in this classroom instead. Can you put my child in this class? Can we switch this, please? So you want to be involved in that at the beginning to help protect your child to have a teacher that is not a, a blatant, obvious um, activist in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I'd, I'm thinking about, you know, a theme I'm hearing here is parent involvement. If the parents are known by the school, that's gonna help build trust. Yeah. And that trust can lead to more transparency. Right. And it, then you'll get a more accurate picture of what's happening. And to also remember that there's all kind of teachers out there, you know, and they're, they come from all of their own perspectives. Some of them have an agenda, um, some of them are, Christians that you go to church with, you know, and right. there's everything in between. So right. um, we need to understand that that classroom environment, if we can strategically move the kid to a different classroom, that that might do a lot. To, yeah. And, to yes. And then, yeah, every grade is different. Um, also, uh, I would encourage parents to 
be regular attenders, get a group together that so that they have someone regularly attending the school board meetings, uh, being very positive, being active, not just sour grapes. Uh, but, you know, so the school board sees them not as just a come and go person, a radical activist who stirs up trouble and leaves, but someone who's there all the time. And they take that person's input and advice much more seriously. Developing a personal relationship with at least one school board member that is friendly to parental rights. Um, you got to be careful. A lot of them lie and deceive. They're trained on how to lie and deceive by the teachers unions. Uh, this is not unusual. Uh, so I encourage them to do that as well. And um, also, once again, we have model policies for school boards to adopt in our book, Reclaim Your School, which they can download for free from our website. Uh, so there's uh, a lot they can do. And finally, I just want to say if parents, they, just, they, they, they can't afford a private school, they can't homeschool on their own. Uh, there is something called church homeschool co-ops that we at Pacific Justice have uh, been encouraging and facilitating. If they would like their church to maybe start something like that with a group of parents working together, we can help send them in the right direction and provide assistance for, for something like that. We're really excited about those. They're popping up all yeah, over the that, country. We've been advocating for those too. So I think right. that that's, that's wonderful that you're helping out with that. Um, my, now, my friend, when she went and met with the principal about the, the data collection situation, one of the things that she did afterwards, and I advised her to do this, was create kind of a summary of the meeting. Here's what we discussed. It was on this day. Here's where we did it, you know, and these are the things we agreed upon. These were the next steps that the principal was going to do and then send that out to whoever was in the meeting. And so that, you know, that there's a kind of some some documentation. What was difficult and she had was in her situation was trying to get the principal to follow up on the things that he agreed he would do was, you know, that to making sure that teachers understood that they had to alert parents about, you know, these before they do data collection and different things. So sometimes that accountability piece can be hard. So I think parents have to be realistic about what kind of changes they might be able to implement on their own. They might have to get outside help to right. for the accountability. Right. And, and that's what we're here for, to serve them all without charge. Uh, we have over 120 cases in active litigation as we speak right now. Wow. Over 120. Um, and it's growing. So we're here. We've been around. We have our uh, keen expertise in this area. So uh, we're here to serve uh, anyone in, out there needing assistance. They should not hesitate to contact us. Very good. So if Christians want to have a seat at the table in a pluralistic public school situation, you know, going in there with guns blazing as an activist is probably not the the way to do it. But we're gonna have to we're gonna have to be smart about it. So yeah, and and those who want to run for and those who may want to run for uh, school board, we've actually helped facilitate work with about forty five people who to run for school board. We have a whole office called the Church Engagement Office. So if people are interested in that, we can help uh, move them into resources and input and uh, direction in, in, that, in that regard as well. But uh, one of the okay. best places to start politics is on the school board and uh, probably one of the most powerful, influential areas of government right now uh, that exists. Excellent. Well, thank you, Brad, from Pacific Justice Institute. I want to make sure that everyone goes to check out their great work and get all of those resources. Thank you, Brad, for, for doing this. I really appreciate having your voice. Once again, I hope you get connected with Brad and the good work that his team is doing at the Pacific Justice Institute. 
I want to close out this podcast by telling you a little story. This whole journey started of, of researching all of these things about public school and what's happening there because of my friend and the survey that I mentioned earlier in this podcast and that I uh, went over in the pod previous podcast called Crash Course on uh, Social Emotional Learning. Um, she was just an average concerned parent. She actually used to be a public school teacher uh, before she had kids and believes in, in you know, the kind of the what the, the general institution of children having a, a good education. She lives in a blue state. She's an average parent. She and her husband have, uh, you know, several kids and, and different educational needs. And, and um, these things just started popping up with the youngest. You know, she hadn't really had to deal with so much of these issues with when her older kids were in school. And she was the one who originally reached out to me and, and alerted me to some of these things that were happening. And so I started researching and doing a deeper dive. Because um, I thought, you know what, there's probably a lot of friend, a lot of people out there like my friend. And I, she told me a little a story and I wanted to tell you this story of a more recent experience that she had. Um, because we were talking earlier with Brad about encouraging Christian parents to show up at, in their schools. If, if your kid's in public school, or even if you've withdrawn, your kids from public school, but you still kind of believe that other people's kids should be able to have a good education. Uh, we talked about this with Kelly Ski. Uh, she thought, I really like how she said it, you know, it's kind of a two front war. I'm going to take my kids out of the public school because it's probably not going to change quick enough to impact them. But I also want to love my neighbor's children and try to advocate for better public schools for them. And that's that's why she does so much of her advocacy. But I want to encourage Christian parents to show up to at their local public school. I want to encourage children's pastors, youth pastors, to also be known at your local public school. Um, if we're going to be salt and light, we need to go places where there's darkness. We need to go places where there needs to be renewal um, and begin to speak up. The principal at my friend's uh, daughter's high school, he actually organized two focus groups for parents to come and give input on what they thought at the school that was working well and, and what was not working so well. So this was the, the principal's attempt at acknowledging like, hey, all right, I'm going to uh, I'm not just going to be a closed wall to parents. I'm going to open things up and have an open dialogue. To, and he wanted to get parents' input in part to help the school prepare a new mission statement. So my friend and her husband went to the evening meeting. There was an evening meeting and a morning meeting. So she and her husband went to the evening meeting. She said there were only four people there, including them. So there was she and her husband and then two other people. She said the, the the principal said that the morning meeting uh, also had four people. And this is at a public school in a major um, area in the Northwest. The school itself has 2,400 students and they had eight parents show up for input. Um, at the focus group, she said that uh, she and her husband expressed concern about students 
with conservative viewpoints not feeling comfortable in speaking up in the classroom or or how their religion was being represented or that you know that all viewpoints weren't valued and respected she said that that gave you know other people courage to to also um talk about you know uh how students should be valued and and some of them said that their kids didn't feel comfortable speaking up um they talked about how students should be learning and evaluating the the strengths and the weaknesses and the evidences and the assumptions behind different positions more and being presented with different positions instead of only one position being presented um one of the other moms whose child is conservative spoke about how he does not feel comfortable as a as a white heterosexual male but just think of the impact that there could have been if 20 or 50 parents had come to respectfully share their thoughts she said to me um in the message she sent me about this story uh, she said i was just so disappointed that there wasn't one other Christian there besides my husband and I. What a missed opportunity, she said. And, and those, those words have just, I've been sitting with those words for a few weeks now since she told me this story. What a missed opportunity. I think sometimes Christians, we can be so quick to complain and withdraw and villainize. But if we really want to love our neighbor's children, we would want to fight for a better situation for them. Yeah, we, we might have to protect our own children. And you guys know I am an advocate for choice. I'm an advocate for empowering parents. I have some, some controversial positions um, you know, of, about charter schools and, and that sort of thing. But at, I don't, I am not an advocate for completely abandoning public education either in the sense that it's still an institution that's out there. Um, in, in philosophy, I'm not a fan of public education, but until the Department of Education is disbanded, which is my ultimate hope and prayer, um, as long as we have children that are being educated through the public school system, we have to understand we're raising tomorrow's leaders and citizens and we, we want those children to have a better chance of having a good education and not just all this social justice indoctrination. That if, if we want to have a voice in that, we've got to show up. We can't simply just get on social media and complain and withdraw. Now, again, you can withdraw your own kids. But I do think that Christians have some level of obligation to fight for those kids who are still there. And some Christian parents, for whatever reason, still need to use or want to use the public school um, system. So I hope that what you've gotten from this is some, some practical help, some, some thoughts about being more involved, documenting and getting other resources harnessed like the Pacific Justice Institute so that you can be equipped to speak into uh, those spaces, but also to be a good advocate and protection for your own kids. And with that, 
I hope that you have a blessed week and we will see you again next week. Good night and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.